Welcome to Beyond the Whistle. I'm your host, Odell McCants, and thank you for listening. On this episode, we're going to step up our conditioning and improve our performance. My guest is Ralph Reef, Executive Director of St. Vincent Sports Performance, a sports medicine, training, nutrition, and psychology organization based in Indianapolis, Indiana. Ralph's career as a licensed athletic trainer began at Butler University, where his work gained him recognition as a global leader in athlete performance management. A member of the Indiana Athletic Trainer Hall of Fame, Ralph has led the medical aspects of more than 20 NCAA events, including three men's Final Fours and several U.S. track and field Olympic trials and swimming world championships. Ralph was a manager of athlete care for the 1996 Olympic Games in Atlanta and has been a part of the Olympic teams and events ever since. And at St. Vincent Sports Performance, Ralph leads a tremendous team of more than 100 sports medicine professionals, including physicians, psychologists, athletic trainers, nutritionists, and strength and conditioning coaches. They train with and and work with over 400 elite-level athletes from top collegiate programs, the NFL, the NBA, WNBA, NHL, Major League Baseball, Olympic sports, and motorsports as well. And Ralph's successful leadership on the business side includes a partnership with the NBA's Indiana Pacers in the development of a new state-of-the-art sports performance facility for St. Vincent and a new practice facility for the Pacers right in downtown Indianapolis. Ralph was extremely instrumental in my start in the sports business, managing the pre-draft training of my first NBA client, and I can't thank him enough for that partnership and friendship. So Ralph, welcome to Beyond the Whistle. Hey, it's my pleasure, Adele. This is really great to connect with you. Ralph, can you take us to that moment when you first realized you wanted to have a career in athletic training? Oh, boy, that goes back a while. But yeah, it actually, like a lot of athletic trainers, I believe, uh, an episode, uh, interaction with a physician or, or another athletic trainer really sort of sparks your interest. And I grew up on a farm in northern Indiana and, and uh, had my sights set on uh, playing collegiate football and at Purdue University, and but unfortunately a knee injury in high school curtailed that, and and it was actually the the physician, Dr. Ellis, uh, in Elkhart, Indiana, told me about athletic training as a high school senior, and uh, that sparked my interest. And I went to the University of Indianapolis, studied athletic training, and uh, connected with a great man by the name of David Craig, who's a longtime athletic trainer for the Indiana Pacers. And oh yes. Yeah, David became my mentor and and really helped shape my my interest in uh, getting into athletic training. Yeah, and I got to know David well uh, as part of your NBA pre-draft camp training. Yeah, absolutely. So David and I stay in touch, do a lot of work together. And uh, again, you, you talk about people in your lives that uh, shape your professional careers. He's definitely one of those. So Ralph, how did your career evolve to your position at St. Vincent? Well, I had 18 wonderful years as the uh, head athletic trainer at Butler University in Indianapolis, Indiana. And that was from a time of 1981. I just had come out of Miami of Ohio uh, with a graduate degree and was really fortunate to get a position as the head athletic trainer at Butler University at the age of 23. Wow. Amazing how times have changed, but in 1981, I was uh, I was the only athletic trainer on staff at Butler University, and we weren't even uh, taking care of the women's sports in those days. It was right on the tipping point of the emergence of women's athletics, and so I was a staff of one, And but it was through the great staff and people around me at Butler University and in the city of Indianapolis that 
really gave me a, uh, I couldn't, I say this oftentimes, uh, I'm not sure I could have been or still be in a better city in the United States than Indianapolis, Indiana, as an athletic trainer. The growth of amateur sports in the city of Indianapolis, the growth of venues that were here and how the city put an effort forth to make sports sort of an economic motivator for the city and for the region. And and so obviously when you've got a lot of sports coming to the city, you need support services to those events. And I became very involved in event management for a lot of the uh, indoor and outdoor sports that were hosted here in the city. And I also had a parallel track while I was at Butler University of, of being a part of the United States Olympic Committee's medical team as a volunteer. And it was really that parallel path of 18 years at Butler University, but then also working and being fortunate enough to be selected by the United States Olympic Committee to work a number of events. So it gave me really a global view of athletic training, healthcare, sports medicine, without ever leaving home, if you will. I I had this opportunity at Butler to take care of the great athletes and wonderful people of of that university and build relationships with coaches and administrators and faculty and athletes, And but yet always was able to take these trips either domestically or internationally with USA Basketball, USA Track and Field, gymnastics, and it really afforded me the opportunity to see healthcare and human performance delivered in different ways all across the world. And I was able to observe that, listen to that, develop relationships. And, and I just had this, this uh, sort of nagging thought all the time that every athlete deserves the same type of access to services. I felt like those athletes who were fortunate enough to be at institutions or professional sports teams that had access to multiple staff members, uh, multiple services, uh, those ty- that type of equipment that was sort of behind the curtain, you know, that only certain people could get to. I just felt compelled to create an environment where athletes, physically active people, could have equal opportunity to access high-level practitioners, coaches, sports psychologists, physicians, by just sort of walking through the door. Uh, You didn't have to have a a certain level of expertise as an athlete. You didn't have to have a a certain level of of financial stability or any position in in sort of the culture. And so it was a beautiful match with St. Vincent, St. Vincent Healthcare Systems that are a non-for-profit system. It's the largest Catholic uh, healthcare system in the world, part of Ascension Health. And and so with their mission to really make healthcare and services available to everybody and anybody really matched well with my personality. And so we sort of crafted on a napkin a plan to create this uh, sports performance model. And here we are 18 years later and uh, got a hundred and some employees and we're we've got athletes globally. I've got staff globally, you know. Athletics doesn't just occur in Indianapolis. <laughs> Those people are everywhere. So we've made a real intentional effort to be a solution company that provides solutions for anybody who's physically active that has a goal. We're just having a great time doing it. And boy, Ralph, going back to those Butler days, could you have imagined that that program, not just basketball, but the entire athletic program would evolve to what it is today? There's no way. You're absolutely right. When I started there in 1981, my first 
full year, 81-82 sports season, we won three football games and seven basketball games. <laughs> and it was all through the 80s. We just we were irrelevant on the basketball scene nationally. We had some big wins here and there by our measure. We made it to the NIT tournament in 1987 and and that was a that was a landmark season for Butler. And so for them to that university to now be a part of arguably the best basketball league in the in the Big East and to have been to two final fours, not only the final four but the final two and just just building a culture of success that now is going across their soccer programs, their softball programs, and enrollment is off the charts. They're building more dormitories all the time. It's an amazing story that values-based sports can blossom and do very well. I like that a lot, values-based sport, and that definitely shines through in every team and program of that department. Well, it really does. And yeah, you know, I think Butler recruiting-wise across all their sports and even within the staff that work there. It's sort of self-selective. There's a, People often ask me, why the success in particularly men's basketball? And I don't, have a, I don't have the perfect answer, but having been around the program since 1981, my view of it is that when you've got a real commitment in your top leadership from the chairman of your board of trustees to the president of the university, to your director of athletics, that fully understand the value and purpose of athletics to the educational process and to the economic process of a university. When those three people have a collegial understanding, that then supports your coaches in a manner that gives them a, a great platform to be successful. Then it's up to having the right talent. You know, you got to have talented coaches that can prosper in that environment but it's not it's not the only successful program in the United States, but just the story of a true transformation of an entire university over the course of 20 years is just really, it's a great story to watch. So Ralph, you know, the business aspect of medicine and other professions, not just medicine, can be challenging for practitioners. And I've watched under your leadership, the successful growth of St. Vincent in the years that we've known each other. To what do you attribute your personal success on the business side of sports medicine and sports performance management? I think that I pride myself that Somewhere in the DNA from uh, my parents or somebody in our heritage, I, I have a knack for being an ob observer, and I have a tendency to really enjoy observing people, interactions, interviews, you know, just, just not just listening, but truly sort of paying attention to the whole environment of a conversation or how people go about their work. And so where I'm going with this is that I, th I think I've had a knack for finding solutions for organizations and and for individual athletes and always sort of a glass half full type of attitude that if somebody's got a barrier, whether it's a physical barrier, it's an injury, or if it's a mental barrier, or if an organization is trying to fill the gaps and, and say, hey, you know, how can we remain relevant as an athletic department or as a professional sports franchise or as an individual you know, let's say a race car driver as an independent contractor, how can I remain competitive? How can I remain relevant? How can I, you know, am I doing all that I can do to be successful? And I think I have a good understanding of how to present options and opportunities to 
each of those entities to advance them on their path towards their goal. And and so having that understanding or having that view, and I think it comes from being an athletic trainer. I think it comes from being an athlete myself at a moderate level of a division two athlete and always sort of scratching and clawing. And I know it's an overused term, but but I think I've always had a little bit of the Tom Brady chip on my shoulder about you know things that I know there've been doubters along the way or uh, when I first started at Butler University, I was 23 years old, and there were folks who, oh, that guy can't do that, and uh, I didn't want them to win. So I think I've got a little bit of a, I just call it that chip on the shoulder. I don't know what that is, but that's the best way I can describe it. It's not towards anybody. It's just I don't want to not succeed. And so I want the same thing for the athletes and organizations that I interact with. I want to I want to find ways for them to succeed and you know put as much in front of people as possible. And so to do all of that, I think that in human performance and sports performance, uh, there's just so many pieces to the puzzle that we have to examine. It, it's not a linear process. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not just a foot injury to a professional athlete, let's say. And so you treat the foot injury and that solves it. That's not the case. You've got to look at what are the biomechanics of the body? What's the history of this individual? What are they being asked to do? What's the environment they're living in? Uh, What's their nutritional habits? How are they managing the psychology of injury? And how does that person deal with not being a part of the normal routine that they've had their whole life? So I think you have to have this understanding that there's there's more going on in the performance process than a one-dimensional or two-dimensional aspect. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. And you know, and that's why I've always respected the work that you all do there is that holistic re- approach to sports performance. And I've seen how you connect to athletes and there is definitely a psychology to dealing with athletes as I as I learned uh, in in my business and athletes can see through a lot of stuff, you know, and they pick up on that genuineness from you and of your team as well. And I appreciate that. And I've always felt very comfortable around athletes. And, and, and I think I've been fortunate in my career as young athletic trainer, particularly with the events that came to Indianapolis. And, you know, in the mid 80s, when I was 25, 26 years old, I was taken care of Carl Lewis, the greatest sprinter in the world. Edwin Moses, you know, the greatest 400-meter hurdle runner in the history of the world. You know, it could go through a whole list and not from an arrogant standpoint or bragging. I just, I was fortunate to have to rise to the occasion to take care of those athletes. And what I learned was, if I just do what I do and do it well, that's respected by those athletes. And what I've learned over years is those athletes whether it's a Gordon Hayward, who's now an NBA all-star, he's a normal guy. He's a human being. (laughs) You know, Tom Brady is a human being that has the same issues going on mentally, psychologically, certainly at a different place from a, if you will, the resources and all of those kinds of things, but they're human beings. Mm -hmm. And you respect what they've done and you respect the attitudes and the personalities but you don't become intimidated by it. If you become intimidated in this business by the personality or the persona, that goes right back to what you said. The athlete will read through that and they can either take advantage of it or they won't come back. And so there certainly is, you've got to build this very quickly, this 
mutual respect, dignity for the individual, and know when to, you know, sort of know when to hit the accelerator and when to hit the brake. And those are hard things to teach to other people in my organization, but we try to do it by mentoring and by observation and You've been in our facilities and you know how inclusive the facilities are. You know, Mm -hmm. it's just, you know, from the weight room to the turf to the medical area, it's just open space and windows between offices and everybody working together. And I I truly believe that that's part of our secret sauce. Yeah, great. You you mentioned being there in Indianapolis and the impact this had on your career personally. And I, and I've definitely watched, I watched Indianapolis make that, I think, you know, concerted effort to be the hub of, it started off, I think, with amateur sports in America with those early Pan Am games. And then it has really evolved to just a great sports town. A great place for events. I think every Final Four should be held in two places, Indy and New Orleans. That's just my, uh, <laughs> I'm looking forward to Phoenix, but I just think the layout, uh, but also the Midwestern hospitality and love of sports and competition is great. And about a year ago, I guess it was, uh, you entered into a development partnership with Indiana Pacers. And it sounds like a really exciting project. Can you highlight that deal for us and update us on, on the status of, the, of that project? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, the Indiana Pacers uh, made a decision a couple of years ago to, that they wanted to build a, a new practice facility, as not just a couple of basketball courts, but all that goes with that, a true home base for their athletes and their personnel, their their office staff. So they designed and built a, a five-story tower, as I refer to it, alongside two basketball courts that stands about three stories tall. And this is right directly across a street from Bankers Life Fieldhouse, which is the home court for the Indiana Pacers, as well as the Indiana Fever of the WNBA. And they were looking for a tenant to be in that building with them who could bring, quite specifically, our services. And so it was not a process where they went out shopping around or hoping somebody would want to move in. We had discussions uh, very honored by this that Jim Morris, the president of uh, Pacer Sports and Entertainment, asked specifically if St. Vincent Sports Performance would want to be a part of that building. And so so you go from that discussion through all the due diligence, all the decision making, all the hard work that's behind the scenes of any kind of structure like this. And, and so now we're four months away from a uh, July opening of this facility that will, um, the first three floors will house all pace, Indiana Pacer operations. So from your head coaching, uh, your coaching staff to your front office to all the daily operations and so forth. And then the top two floors, uh, St. Vincent Hospital, uh, we've leased both floors. And on the fourth floor, we will have cardiology there as well as uh, primary care. And uh, then on our floor, uh, the top floor, 18,000 square feet, will be all of our sports performance services, as well as we're going to launch another aspect of our sports performance program, and that being sports science. So mm-hmm. we're building into this space a, a sports science laboratory, uh, hiring the appropriate credentialed people to manage that, to provide sports performance testing and feedback from a physiology and biomechanical standpoint that'll become a part of our business model. 
we're really excited about that. So the so the integration with the Indiana Pacers with Sean Wendell, who's their director of performance, who's their head strength and conditioning coach, and Josh Corbiel, their head physical therapist and athletic trainer. It'll be a collaborative effort that, in essence, we're going to be a resource at their fingertips. If we can be of assistance to them, we are at the ready to do that. And so we already provide sports nutrition on a contractual basis to the Indiana Pacers, as well as sports psychology. And we, we see this uh, just because of proximity. We see that collaboration deepening in a lot of ways. Well, it's a very exciting project and all the renderings and plans are just amazing. And I'll be sure that we add uh, links to that information in the show notes for this episode. Yeah, and it's going to be a beautiful showcase place just because of where it's located. Being on the top floor, it will be up above in the skyline, will be uh, above the buildings around us. And so our floor on that fifth floor uh, will have uh, 22-foot windows, 63 yards long, facing the south-southeast sector of the city of Indianapolis. So we'll be able to look out those windows on a daily basis and see Lucas Oil Stadium, as well as Banker's Life, as well as other portions of the city. So it's going to be a beautiful place uh, for work on a daily basis. Yeah. So we're recording this episode just two days removed from the greatest Super Bowl game in history. And I, well, I guess that depends on your rooting uh, perspective. Um, well, I had no problem with it. I, yeah. I'm a, even though I'm in Indianapolis, I'm a, I'm a closet Belichick and Brady fan. Same here, Ralph. I just, you know, oftentimes I get asked, I'm sure you do too, you know, who are your favorite teams? And I always say, you know, well, when, when you're working in sports, to me, it's it's more about people and not necessarily teams. Right. Um, and I don't know them personally, but just it's an organization that I root for, just the way they go about their work and, you know, from top to bottom, from how they select players and the coaching and the practicing and the, and the leadership of Brady. And I'm, 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 I'm a big fan as well. Yeah, how can you not be? I mean, just if you, again, if you sort of take the banner off of uh, if you're a fan and you say, oh, there's no way I could like the Patriots. Well, take all that away and just look at the body of work yep. and and look how they go about building success. And that's what I admire. I just uh, admire the longevity, the continuity. And as much as I was fighting it Sunday night to stay awake, (laughs) (laughs) and because I kept thinking, if there's any team in the world that could come back and make this a game, it's the Patriots. You got it. By golly, they they did not disappoint. Uh, Unbelievable. And you think about it, Adele, look at at the sports over the last year. You know, you've got the collegiate uh, football championships. It comes down to the last play of the game. You go to the Villanova win and NCAA basketball. That's the last shot of the game. And the World Series this year with uh, Cleveland and with Chicago. I mean, it's we as sports fans have, uh, it's been a fruitful season. Yeah. And LeBron and the Cavs coming back in their series yes, and winning yes. that for the first time in Cleveland history. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Ralph, with the NFL season officially over, all focused on the upcoming NFL draft, and I'm sure your facility is busy right now with with draft prospects, training, and and preparing for what I call the biggest job interview of an athlete's life. How many athletes do you have in this year's pre-draft program, and how is the program structured, and what is a typical day like for an athlete in your pre-draft program? Yeah, I'd be glad to walk through all of that. And so, this year, we have 14 athletes from across the United States. And we typically run between a dozen to 18 athletes each year. So we're right in the middle of that. We like those numbers 
from a business standpoint, I wish we had 120, but from a quality standpoint and the results that we get with athletes, uh, this is what our coaches and our staff really like, this uh, small number group, highly talented. A number of these athletes are going to the Combine. Many of them are uh, have been in showcase games already, the Senior Bowl and, and the NFLPA game. And, and so it's a, it's a highly talented group of athletes. And uh, so their daily regimen, we started January 2nd here in Indianapolis. They, they fly in or drive in from their locations. And so these 14 athletes walk in and don't know each other. And pretty quickly, when you're grinding it out every day, they, they become pretty big fans of one another. And while there's a competitiveness to it, there's also a camaraderie of getting through the grind at the, all the same time. But their daily regimen really starts with... Uh, and and we really monitor, I'll just say that we monitor and pay attention to all 24 hours of the day. So from sleep quality, if you will, I mean, we, we use a, a high-end hotel as the home base for the athletes. They've got appropriate sleeping quarters. We start the day with breakfast, which is all of our meals are nutritionally tailored to each athlete's individual goals, whatever their beginning biometrics are. We work with the chef at the hotel, our dietitians do. So they start there and then we go to an indoor turf facility and all of our, our speed work, our movement development and position work is all done between 8.30 a.m. and 11.30 a.m. each morning. And so it'd be a combination of working with Greg Moore, who's our lead strength and, and speed coach. Then we turn it over to individual position coaches that we hire, former NFL players, former NFL coaches, former collegiate coaches at, at key positions. Then uh, after that morning session, then we do post-workout. They have post-workout hydration and nutrition. We do our medical care, um, any kind of follow-up, any recovery so we do, we pay a lot of attention to their recovery and then we do that through nutrition as well as uh, compression garments that we put on the athlete's legs and, and arms to, to just speed up the recovery process. Then they have uh, two hours off for lunch and some break time. During break time, an individual coach might get with them for film study or just dialogue. Then they come back to our main facility for strength training in the afternoon. That goes from 2 to 4.30 in the afternoon. And uh, then after that, again, medical care, body management, recovery, there might be a lecture. So they might sit down for 20 minutes and do a nutrition lecture, might have a sports psychology session for an hour, might have individual uh, massage therapy for recovery component, added recovery. And then, and then it's nighttime. It's time for dinner back at the hotel. Uh, and then each night is different. Uh, most nights, they don't have anything to do but recover. But then we also, to break up the monotony and so forth, we'll go to Butler University and watch a Big East basketball game. They'll go to Indiana Pacers. They'll go to an ice hockey game. Or or we'll have a guest speaker come in and talk to them about financial planning. Or we'll talk to them about just brand development as a, as a professional athlete. What does that mean to have your own brand? How do you develop it? What are all the resources available to you? And a lot of that's in conjunction with the agent. We don't want to overstep our bounds with what the agent might do from financial planning or marketing and so forth. So it's a continual dialogue with the agent, with the athlete. Then that's day one and we hit the button, they go to sleep and we start all over and do it again the next day.
Yeah. And I like that all encompassing. Again, I go back to that holistic approach uh, that you all really take. You know, it's not just your athlete with a guy in a gym, as I call it. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's covering every, uh, every aspect because sometimes I don't think guys understand this is just the beginning, <laughs> you know, <laughs> preparing for the draft is just the beginning of, of your career. Yep. And it's a real transition. From being a collegiate athlete, I don't care if you're at the University of Michigan or if you're at Lindenwood University in St. Louis or or a Marion University in the NAIA, football is football. But all the resources to make that transition to the professional game, you go from being all about the team to being all about the individual. And that's, that is counter to everything we're ever taught in sports, but it, you have to become at this point in the, in this process, you have to become a little bit self-centered and really, really push yourself to say, okay, I'm come to realization that I've got this company that I'm taking care of and it's my body and it's my mind. And I'm the CEO of this company and I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get a job. I'm trying to take a helmet away from somebody else. There aren't many who get to do that. So it's a, it's a challenging process to get the athlete to mentally make that transition not get, we're in the dog days right now. I mean, we've been at it four and a half weeks. Uh, they can sort of see the light at the end of the tunnel, but there's also anxiety building because the light is coming at the end of the tunnel. And so it's, it, it's an interesting process. It's very difficult mentally. And uh, that's why we help them, giving them some mental tools, as we call it, the mental toolkit, just as important as bench press and the 40 and and uh, catching the football is uh, how to manage your, how do you manage your mind? Yeah. And the anxiety, you know, I, I always shared with athlete and parents, you know, up to this point, you have controlled pretty much the entire process. So you selected uh, what high school you went to, what AAU team you played on, what college you attended, even what agent you selected. But now, you know, you're not doing the selecting. Someone else is doing the selecting. And there's a lot of anxiety attached to that. And again, I go back to that, that special you know, psychology of working with understanding athletes. There's no question. And our staff does a great job of keeping the focus without a lot of unnecessary drama. In other words, we know we have a job to do. We know that it's an intense situation. This is a very small amount of people that get to go to the next level. Appreciate that, understand it, respect it, but don't be paralyzed by it. Uh, So our staff does a great job of just getting through the process, having a plan, managing the plan and teaching the athletes to do that along the way. Yeah. You know, Ralph, as sports professionals working in sports, we're we're obviously around fitness and health, and, you know, many are coaching and leading athletes, yet often we neglect our own health and fitness. And I I know it comes working long hours as coaches and as administrators and perhaps even as trainers and traveling and recruiting and all those types of things. What's your advice for coaches and others working in sports for how we can manage our health and fitness to be at our own peak performance? Oh boy, that's a, that is a great question. It's a much needed topic to have a lot of dialogue about. And from my view, to answer your question, I think that there's, again, this is sort of the sports journey, right? We sometimes athletes, we as athletes, as you go through the process, you think to the value of a workout is based on the length of the workout and how much you sweat. And that might be how you gauge uh, whether it was a great workout or not. Well, 
as you age, as your priorities of time become maybe more sedentary because it's the nature of the business, the priorities change. And I believe that my philosophy is that there's two things that are really important about personal health and well-being. One is the value of movement, the ability to go for a walk, the ability to to do deep knee bends, the ability to do some jumping jacks or to skip a rope or to jog down the sidewalk. You don't have to run six miles for it to be a successful fitness venture. There's great value in, in on a daily basis of just movement. You know, one of the leading factors of deterioration of life as we go through the life process, one of the leading factors in the deterioration of personal well-being is lack of strength and lack of mobility. And so if we can maintain the ability to get up and out of a chair, to get in and out of a car, to jump on a subway and jump off the subway and up and down the staircase, those simple, what we would view if you're 20 years old as an athlete, you'd say that's ridiculous. But as you become in the workforce, the ability to just take advantage of five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes and say, yeah, there's great value in movement. The other part is around uh, hydration. I, I know food is important, but I truly just the things that I've read, people I listen to that I respect, the great value of hydration and nothing better than good old pure water and what that does for your body, what it does to, let's look at the other side. Most people walk around daily in a dehydrated state. And we know through research that a 10% drop in dehydration uh, reduces your mental capacity, your reasoning, your energy levels, and therefore your human performance. And so that's why we impress upon athletes so much about hydrate, hydrate, hydrate. Well, what do we do as non-athletes anymore when we're in our jobs? We've got to make sure that we hydrate because the body still needs that. So, so to boil this down, taking the advantage to have some opportunity for movement, very intentional movement every day, and drink water. I mean, uh, those three things sound really simple, but man, they make a difference. And I know for me, it's become sleep as well, Ralph. Yeah, yeah, great point. Absolutely. I used to not be a believer of sleep, and I was one who would say, oh, I'll sleep when I'm dead, and sleep is for the week, and you you don't get anything accomplished when you're sleeping. But uh, I know I've reached a certain age, and now the busy seven-year-old and all those things, and I, I cherish, and sleep really impacts my following day. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that because it, it is a, I sort of think it's it's somewhat the last frontier of human performance of how do we measure sleep? How do we change the dialogue? Because you mentioned it, you know, as so often in sport or even in society, you know, sleep is, is laughed at. You know, if, hey, if somebody gets in extra sleep or you're always napping, uh, that's some some sign of failure. It's a lot like mental health, you know. No one wants to talk about depression and those kinds of things, but we need to. We need to so that people will seek the best pathway and the best practices. Same thing with sleep. I'm so glad you brought that up because it it truly is an area that we're paying a lot of attention to in sports performance. When you hear that whistle, it means we're about to share with you a resource to take away from this conversation that you can use and implement right away in your own success journey. So, Ralph, what book have you read or are currently reading that has had impact on your career or life that you would recommend to our listeners? 
Oh, that's a great question. And books have meant a lot to me and, and one that I always go back to at this stage in my life. Uh, I'm 58 years old and, and they're managing things. It's a book called Necessary Endings. Necessary Endings by Dr. Cloud, C-L-O-U-D. And uh, it talks about how so often in our work, in our lives, everything, we're always building, 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 growing, growing, growing. We're adding to. But how do we interject into our process the question of, should we continue to do this? Is this, is this, and fill in the blank, right? Is this still a value to my process? Is this still a necessary activity? And so it's, it talks about how do we end things that don't need to occur anymore? And uh, how do you go through that process? So, uh, and, and hit really the essence of the book is usually when we have a meeting or a conversation and we're going to end something, it's dark, it's heavy, it's emotional. Well, how do you make that dialogue more of the commonplace part of your business process or even within your family or in your own personal life? How do we assess everything that we're doing and say, you know what, that habit, that process, that old pair of shoes, it's time to end and move on. And so that's my favorite book. Yeah, and that's interesting because we often, yeah, you know, we're, we're programmed to think about beginning and you're right. An end is some kind of failure, but things do end. Yes. <laughs> um, and that yeah. is something that we need to consider and understand when and how. I, I really like that a lot. Well, Ralph, thank you so much for being on the show. We're going to end on that note, but I know it's just, I feel like it's just the beginning too. And I, I feel like we could have a couple of more uh, episodes around some of these subjects and the growth of you and St. Uh, there at St. Vincent. And I'd love to have you back to, uh, once you're in that new facility as well. Well, Odell will certainly revisit. That's for sure. And, uh, it's just been a real joy for me to connect with you and this time here and appreciate it so much. Appreciate you very much. So Ralph, lastly, where can people go to learn more about you and St. Vincent Sports Performance and connect with you as well? Yeah. So, um, our tagline is defining sports performance. And so, so our website is defining sportsperformance.com and on all the social media channels it's at defining sports so uh, type in do your google search and so forth around st vincent sports performance or defining sports performance and people will find us and i think you're a great follow on twitter ralph where can people find you on twitter oh thank you it's uh, at r v reef r e i f f r v r e i F, F, F as in Frank. You have really embraced social media, both you and the organization. And we'll be sure to have uh, links to the website and uh, social media links in the show notes as well. Terrific. Yeah. So, Ralph, thank you very much for your time. My pleasure. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Ralph. Ralph's career is the perfect example of the journeys I highlight on the show. His journey started as a young athletic trainer at Butler University, became a renowned global leader in sports medicine and sports performance, and now leads a global organization providing the best in sports medicine and performance management to premier athletes. He's also a leader in the Indianapolis business community. You can learn more about Ralph and St. Vincent Sports Performance at DefiningSports.com. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Whistle. If you enjoy what you hear, please subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, or any other podcast app you use. You can also connect with me on Twitter at Odell McCants or at McCant Sports and learn more about McCant Sports at our website, McCantsports.com. <laughs>